Somebody fix your eyes on him right now. Uh, receive his vision, not yours. Uh, receive his mind, not yours. Uh, receive his thoughts, not yours. Uh, come on, fix your eyes on heaven right now. Fix your eyes uh, on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, he's a true God. He's a faithful God. Uh, he's a holy God. Uh, I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The children's discipleship class can find their way to the back door. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, I believe that God wants to move in this house tonight. Someday I'll go back on the podcast and listen to how many times I say that in the beginning of uh, teaching or preaching, but I still believe it. Uh, so, amen. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Returning to where we were last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Man. What an awesome couple of weeks we've had uh, here at Jesus Church. Uh, this Sunday, so blessed by the ministry of Evangelist Sparks uh, and that word from the Lord. I've been chewing on that over the last couple of days. I've just been enjoying that word from the Lord and calling dry bones to come alive. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, this know also that in the last days, everybody say the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Now we got all that out of here when we sent the children's discipleship class out. They can't hear me to defend themselves, so you'll have to tell them later. Unthankful, unholy. I know I've made mention of it before, but it is not by accident that unholy is listed right after unthankful. If your enemy can get you to be unthankful, he can get you to be unholy. It's just one quick step from unthankful to unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers... False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. We return today to talking about the last day man. Uh, we laid some groundwork last week, and if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that. Uh, but we continue on today with the understanding that we are in the last days. We are approaching the coming of the Lord, and we are anxiously and earnestly uh, awaiting His return. Those that have the ear of the Spirit have their eyes affixed to the heavens and are believing that it is just a, a short season of time until 
everything begins to fall into place until every word, every prophecy, every, every prophetic sign in the New Testament and old falls into place and we see Jesus coming in clouds of glory. We do not have to be upset about the state of our world. Now, it ought to bother us, it ought to stir us, it ought to motivate us, but a spirit-filled believer has no reason to be wringing their hands over the state of affairs in this world today. Don't wring your hands, lift your hands, and lift your heart, and lift your eyes to the heavens, because Jesus is coming back for his people. And the wilder and wilder it gets in this world, the brighter and brighter the church is going to shine. So I am not encouraging, nor am I trying to speed along anything. I'm just trying to be aware of where I'm at in time and in all of God's plan, and I know in these last days, there will be perilous times. I don't have to be uh, caught by surprise when there are wars and rumors of wars. I don't have to be caught by surprise when there are famines and earthquakes and disease and pestilence. I'm not caught by surprise, but when these things come to pass, I just want to do what Jesus told us to do, which was to lift up our eyes for our redemption draweth nigh. The last day man in this world grows more and more wicked. The last day man in this world grows further and further away from God. The last day man in this world is more and more enticed by the spirit of Antichrist. And everything that is anti-God is being manifest in man. But that's not all that scripture has to say about the last days. As we read last week in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, that Peter stood up with the eleven and lifted up his voice and said unto them, hearken to my words. In verse 15 he goes on and says, these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The first instinct of the gathered crowd when witnessing this, this outpouring of the Spirit was to assume intoxication. I've seen people in this world that are drunk do some pretty crazy things. You journey to a large city in America right now. And you will see people in various states of intoxication, especially if you find yourself in a downtown setting. The last, uh, it, it was just a couple of years ago, I was at General Conference in Indianapolis. And as I'm leaving service and walking to a restaurant, you, I see a homeless person shooting up on the street right there and as the the night goes down you can see people staggering around and people just completely gorked out of their mind on drugs uh, see that's the last days of this world uh, but from the beginning and continuing until now, there was a people that was so full of the Holy Ghost, they had yielded themselves completely to the outpouring of God's Spirit. They had yielded their behavior. 
Oh, when was the last time, saint of God, that you were so filled with the Spirit that you could be accused of being drunk? You could be... I, mm, come on, it's a Wednesday night, I know, uh, but why don't we just relax in this house a little bit uh, and tap into the presence of the Lord? When's the last time uh, I ask you uh, that you were so consumed by the Spirit of God uh, that anybody around you would have made a mistake and thought, hey, uh, they've been drinking. Uh, maybe it's been in the house, but maybe, maybe it should be in your own house every once in a while. Maybe it should be in public every once in a while. Oh, that might be radical. No, no, I think that would be just like our apostolic forefathers. I challenge somebody tonight. When's the last time you demonstrated some radical behavior? We'll just stay there for a moment. People will be looking at me like I just grew a third eye in the middle of my forehead or something. When's the last time, even in a Sunday service, where you could be accused of being intoxicated. You know what some of us need is just to get so lost in the presence of the Lord that our problems fade to the back uh, and our focus on God becomes ever more sharp. Uh, what we need is to get so filled with His goodness and His glory that we just lose sense of time and space. What we need on this Wednesday night uh, is to become so acutely aware of the majesty and the power of God uh, that my minute uh, and minuscule problems just become uh, nothing in, in sight of his glory and his goodness. Uh, when I think uh, of my God and how good he is, uh, there's just something that begins to rise up inside of me. Uh, I don't want to contain it. Uh, I can't contain it. Uh, I don't want to keep it. Uh, I can't keep it. Uh, I just got to let it out uh, a sound of praise uh, and a sound of worship uh, and a sound of exaltation uh, at the majesty of my savior uh, at the might of my God and his goodness so I challenge somebody just yield yourself to the spirit now the spirit of the prophet will be subject to the prophet you are in control but every so often, in fact, I, I would say very often, you should find yourself lost in the presence of the Lord. And that's rubbing some people the wrong way because we like to be in charge. We like to be in, this is not even where we're going tonight, but we're going to stay here as long as we need to. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. Even in an atmosphere like a Sunday service, we want to be dignified. We want to be in control. We want it all to be dress right dress. But no, when you get a hold of him and he gets a hold of you, there's just something that begins to bubble up inside. And there's something that flows uh, out of your belly, something that begins to spring up uh, with joy unspeakable. And if you, if you sit still and sit quiet, I question your joy unspeakable. Joy. Happy, happy joy unspeakable. There's some people that would react more if their team won the Super Bowl than if Jesus stepped into this house. Oh, I'm just not emotional. I guarantee you if Publishers Clearinghouse walked in, you see what I did there? We don't buy lottery tickets, right? 
Uh, by the way, lottery tickets, bad juju. That's just, that's awful. Don't do it. It's poor stewardship of your finances. Uh, there's your quick lesson for it. Don't ask God to bless your money when you're blowing it on gambling, okay? Uh, but if Publishers Clearinghouse walked in with a giant check for you, I'm pretty sure even though there's a camera on you, it'd be a little bit more than, oh my, can you believe that? I won something. I'm so giddy with glee right now. Well, how much more for the king of glory? How much more for the king of kings and the Lord of lords? How much more for the knowledge that you have already won the greatest drawing that could ever be? It was open for you, and you have your name written down in the Lamb's book of life. You have your name recorded in the scrolls of heaven. You have called over you the name of Jesus Christ and his blood. You have already been made heir with Christ uh, there is waiting for you uh, even even greater riches in heaven uh, the likes of which our minds cannot yet conceive uh, or know how could I sit there uh, still and quiet uh, when he's made me to be uh, oh in that place uh, those heavenly places with Christ Jesus uh, come on somebody uh, why don't you just express for a moment uh, the reality uh, of who you are and where you are in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Yield yourselves to his spirit. Amen. He goes on and says, This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass. Not it might come to pass, but it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. In the last days, there will be a church. In the last days, though perilous times will come, God has promised to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Uh, in the last days, though men will be lovers of their own selves, uh, at the same time, uh, there will be an ever-growing kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, and souls will be added to that kingdom daily, such as should be saved. Uh, in the last days, though there may be signs uh, in the heavens above and in the earth, Earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Uh, 
But the Bible also says that these signs will follow them that believe. Uh, oh, there might be signs of the end times in the world, uh, but there are signs of the end in the church. Uh, and it is that believer uh, that is going out to fulfill the Great Commission uh, and trusting and believing in the promises of God in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, Jesus said, Watch, therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord doth come. In 25 and 13, he says, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. He gives us a little bit more insight in verse 37 of Matthew 24. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not that the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It, when Jesus comes back to this earth, it's, it, there's not going to be a world filled with people that are waiting in the fields for him to come. Life will be occurring as normal. Marrying, giving in marriage. Yes, there's going to be chaos, but society will continue. Society will be happening and men will be about their business and all of the sudden a trumpet is going to sound. There's a couple of elements of, of, of that description in 2 Timothy that I want to focus on tonight. The first one is when it says men shall be lovers of their own selves. The rest of the list springs from that. And then right near the end or at the end, Paul writes this. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. In Matthew, and I know that many of you are familiar with this. And this is a little bit of review for you, but... In Matthew, uh, Jesus is, is asked, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the greatest and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments... Hang all the law and the prophets. A marker of the end time will be when man begins to express love for himself to a higher degree than any other entity. Man will be in love with self. Self will be promoted. Self will be shared. Self will be lifted up. Self will be fed. Self will be Facebooked. Self will be Twittered. Self will be broadcasted and shown all over, all out of a love of self. 
In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, Jesus says, Because iniquity or sin and lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endures till the end, the same shall be saved. Self-love is impatient. It is often rude. Unless they can get something from you by kindness. Self-love is arrogant with a, a boastful and proud spirit saying, Look at me. Focus your attention on me. It is manipulative. It desires to be the center of attention and of the universe. Self-love demands its own way. Because when you view yourself as a God and as the authority, you will naturally be irritated and angry when others don't bend the knee to your idol of self. Self-love pursues its own happiness above all else. Self-love will end marriages, will abort babies, will chemically and surgically castrate self, in a moment, all in an idolatrous pursuit of happiness, a love of self. Self-love feeds into a love of pleasures more than the love of God. When you view yourself as worthy of love and worthy of worship as an idol, you, you think to yourself, there's no reason for me to withhold any pleasure from myself. But there's a problem with loving pleasure more than God. Actually, there's a lot of problems. Because now you begin to pursue pleasure rather than God. The mindset of these end times men is if it feels good, do it. It must be right. And self-denial, self-denial is such a lost art in the world that we live in. You tell somebody that you're fasting, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. Wait, you're not eating? Why? Oh, you're trying to lose weight. No, no, that's not it. We, we are not good at denying self. We're not good at, at, at limiting self. Bishop preached so powerfully just a few months ago on a God named Belly. And if you have not gone back and listened to that, it might be a good re-listen. We have a God in America, and that God is our appetite. It is our own pursuit of happiness. Contained in our founding documents, yes, I know that that's not what the founders envisioned and what those documents entailed, but it is very much where we are at in a pursuit of happiness above all else. If only this world and if only the church would come to a fresh understanding of Psalm 16 and verse 11 where the writer says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, the end time man is in a pursuit 
of pleasure. They're in a pursuit of happiness. They're in a pursuit of enjoyment. They're after something that's going to make this flesh feel good. They're after something that's just going to give us that little dopamine burst uh, and that little scrub of dopamine that's going to excite us for a moment. Uh, But the last days man uh, that is in pursuit of God uh, is the one that is going to truly find pleasure because at the right hand of God when you find God you'll find joy when you find God you'll find happiness when you find God you're going to find peace when you lose yourself and find him you will find pleasure forevermore. pursuers of pleasure will never stay with God They may attend church. They may profess him. But the moment that something hard comes along, they're gone. After all, why would God expect me to endure great hardship to serve him? We do ourselves a disservice when we forget the testimony of the apostles and the first century church. These same men that Jesus professed to so deeply love, all of them end in martyrdom. These same believers that Paul convinces and writes of the love of God and he wants them to know it, all of them persecuted. We need a fresh understanding and a fresh baptism of the love of God for us. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. And I'm going to do my best here to limit any sort of fill-in and just let Scripture speak for itself. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, John writes this, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now this love that he is speaking of is not love for self or love for pleasure. It is a love for God and a love for others. We moved from love is of God To God is love. It is a core makeup of God's nature. Together with holiness is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Scripture always tells us, you know, here's how you can show your love for God. But did you catch that right there in verse 9? Here's how God showed his love for you. John would write in John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He took the first step. The God who is love reached out toward you while you were in love with yourself and in love with a pursuit of pleasure. 
Verse 10 says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. That beginning clause is not just a, a random sentence that he's, he's throwing in. He's saying, look, God is a spirit, as he would write in, John chapter, or in the gospel of John chapter 4. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And when he says no man has seen God at any time, he, it, it's not just this non sequitur that John throws in. What he's saying is when we love one another, his love dwells in us, and it's perfected in us, and now they can see the love of God through us. Hereby do we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and him in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. And right there, is a sentence and, a, and a, and a problem for many in our world today. We have not fully known and far too often do not believe the love that God has toward us. But I believe even on this Wednesday night, here tonight, God wants to baptize somebody new and fresh with an outpouring of his love uh, so that you can get a fresh revelation of just how much your heavenly father loves you. And we have known and believed the love that God hath toward us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in God, or in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. In this last day, we can have boldness because of the love of God that has been offered to us. The love of God that we dwell in, that we live in. To dwell is not just to experience or to taste every so often. To dwell is not just that feeling you get on an especially good Sunday service. To dwell in God's love is not just that small moment of time where you feel some goosebumps and a butterfly in your stomach. No, to dwell in the the love of God is to live there. It is to put down stakes. It is to make it your address. It's to fill out the form and send it to the post office so that all of your mail is forwarded there. It is to establish residence. You now live there in the love of God. God, when he filled you with his spirit and you took his name upon you in the waters of baptism, you began to dwell in him and he in you and his love dwells in you. You've got to understand it is not a 
feeling. Uh, it is a statement uh, of truth from Scripture. You are loved. Uh, when you make a mistake, you're loved. Uh, when you fall, uh, you're loved. Uh, when you fail, you are loved. Uh, when you think a dirty thought, uh, you are loved. Uh, when a word comes out of your mouth uh, that you regret uh, and you have to repent about it, you are loved. Uh, you are loved by Him. Uh, you are loved by, oh, uh, you might not have been loved as a child. Uh, you might not know what love feels like or looks like uh, in the earthly or the natural. Uh, but here's what it looks like in the spiritual. Uh, your God loved you so much uh, that he incarnated himself and experienced everything that you and I experienced. Uh, he did not have to be born uh, of poor parents in a stable. Uh, he could have been born in a palace. Uh, but he chose to experience poverty so that he would be able uh, to know what you're going through when you cry out uh, about your bills. Uh, he did not have to experience rejection, uh, but now he knows uh, what it's like for you to be rejected. Uh, he did not have to experience uh, his own family not believing him, uh, but now he knows what you feel like when your own family turns away. Uh, and he loves you uh, even in those moments where your faith is small uh, and your belief begins to shrivel. Uh, God's love uh, is there for you if you'll dwell in it, uh, if you'll stay in it, if you'll live in it. Uh, his love will be poured out in your lives. Uh, would you lift your hands in this place uh, and say, God, uh, I've got to know. Uh, I've got to believe. Uh, I've got to know. I've got to believe the love that you have for me. Hallelujah. 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 And our love can be made perfect. That is complete and mature. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You ought to, you should probably like pray that verse every morning until revelation and, and like full acceptance of it comes. As he is, so are we in this world. Not so we will be, so are we right now in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now, perfect doesn't mean spotless and blameless. It means mature, grown up. Your grown up Christian love drives out fear because fear torments us. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of, of, of God not loving us. But as I grow up in him, as I dwell in him, his love is driving out my fear. We're afraid that we're not good enough. We're afraid that we're not going to measure up. We're afraid that our performance hasn't been up to his love standard. 
Can I tell you that your performance is never going to be up? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Your performance is never going to be up to his love standard. Uh, Your performance is never going to be good enough. Uh, If if he was your earthly father, you couldn't bring home enough straight-A report cards uh, and good notes at the parent-teacher's conference. Uh, You couldn't land the best job uh, or marry the best woman. You you could not do it. Uh, He loved you while you were in sin. It's not about your performance. It's about your identity. We love him because he first loved us. None of us will ever be able to say that I initiated this. No, he loved me first. No, he loved me first. When I was unlovable, when I was a wretch, when I was miserable, he loved me. But if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And sometimes the problem is I can see my brother, and that's why I don't love him. You can't, you can't fail too big to get out of the love of God. But you can refuse to love your brother. And John calls into doubt the quality, the efficacy of somebody who, who claims to love God but cannot love a fellow human. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, he goes on and says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Amen. Well, so much for not adding a whole lot of commentary. But we needed to deal with some things. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. As I was preparing today, I just felt a caution and a check in my spirit. That we ought, we ought to be careful and we ought to not think ourselves incapable of falling out of love. Now, again, I, that's, that's a misnomer statement. It's not a totally accurate statement. All right? It's, it's a decision and it's a fact. Love is, is not a feeling. But the angel is, John is having a revelation, uh, and this angel is speaking to him of seven churches in Asia, and he begins to describe the church in Ephesus, and he says, I know thy works, in verse 2, and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. And I recall to mind the words of Jesus Christ when he said, He that endureth till the end 
shall be saved. That's what the church in Ephesus was doing. They were enduring. They were sticking it out. They were lasting. They were staying. They were laboring. They have borne a great burden. They have had great patience. And yet God says to them, nevertheless, I've got something against you. You've left your first love. It is possible, even here, for love to grow cold in the busyness and the chaos of our lives. My love toward God can grow cold, but my love toward self will be increasing at the same time. And he challenges them and says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Over the years, in my 35 years of life now, I've observed some things. And one thing I've always been puzzled at is how somebody can be so excited when they're first born again and then it seems like the longer they spend with Jesus, the less excited they become. How is that possible? It's love that's gone cold. It's, it's the first work that's been shunted aside and a supposed maturity has been reached. In my marriage, I'm thankful to report, my wife can either attest to this or not, as we approach 17 years this year, it's better than it was when we first got married. There's more love. There's greater love. There's an understanding of love that I did not have when I first got married. Now, the butterflies don't strike me as often. They still strike me quite a bit. She's good looking. But there's a depth of love and a depth of relationship that excites my soul. And so it must be in the last day, man. The longer I spend with Jesus, the more I fall in love with him. You've spent time around people for sure that the longer you're around them, the more you can't wait to get away. I love them, but I, I'm going to love them from a distance of about three or four miles. Just over there. I love you for... 24 hours at Thanksgiving. Just kidding. That's, that's, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, okay? I promise. But it is not so with Jesus. I have found that the more time I spend with him, the more I fall in love with him. The more time that I, I get to be around him, the more my heart opens to him. But when there's a lack of time, when there's a lack of openness, when there's a lack of vulnerability, a love grows cold 
And we are like a church in Ephesus where the angel says, look, you're doing all of the right things. You're dressing all of the right way. You're speaking all of the right buzzwords and phrases. You're, you're behaving exactly how you're supposed to be behaving, but it's all just routine and ritual, and there's no love inside of it. Can I tell you God takes it pretty seriously that you love him? And he told them, look, unless you repent and love again, your candlestick is gone. I got all out of order. I got excited early. But I want to read two portions of Scripture as we close. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 through 39. In fact, I would, I would challenge you to write these two portions, these next two portions of Scripture down. Until, again, they become the reality of your life. For I am persuaded. Somebody say, I'm persuaded. That neither death. Now, we think that just because somebody died, God doesn't love us anymore. If we'd get a fresh understanding of love, we'd realize that death brings me closer to him. Nor life. Sometimes we think because we're still alive, God doesn't love us anymore. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's all stand together for a moment. We're going to pray one more portion of Scripture. And then we need to allow that to resonate down inside of our spirit for a moment. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. This was the prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus. That very same church that just a decade or two later, John would write and say, your love has gone cold. Here's what Paul prayed for them. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, not love of self, not love of pleasure, but love of God and love from God. You would be rooted and grounded in the love that God has for you. Again, we're talking dwell. We're talking put down roots. We're talking be grounded so that when the storms of life blow, so that when principalities and powers, nor things present or things to come, try to fight against that love, you are grounded in it. Too many of us just visit his love occasionally. But being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. His prayer for them was, I want you to know something that is unknowable. 
I want you to comprehend something that is incomprehensible. I want you to place your trust in something that you can't see and you can't even totally fathom. But by the Spirit of God inside of you, you will be able to know the love of Christ and then be filled with all the fullness of God. As we close our eyes in this place, I feel to do something just a little bit different on a Wednesday night. For a moment, let's, let's just lift our hands. Let's focus our minds on him. Come on, ma'am. Come on, sir. Would you lift your hands in this place right now? In this house are those who, as a child, did not experience pure love. As an adult, have struggled with pure love. But I believe, I believe God wants to help you be rooted and grounded in his love tonight. Tonight. I believe there's a baptism of God's love that wants to flow in this house. It may not be everybody in this place, but if you tonight, as I've been teaching, as I've been preaching, you feel that tug of the Spirit on your heart, drawing you into deeper love. If you are not persuaded, if you are not knowing and sure of, but you want to be, I want you to come to the front in this house tonight.